Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now, in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Mark Levin, our number is 877-381-3811, I'm sure a lot of Americans are ignoring this, this asinine event in the United States Senate. Uh, most Americans, most of you, you're working, or you have family to take care of, or God knows what's going on in your lives, but this is not. And this is a propaganda event now aimed at blaming Donald Trump for the violence that took place. It's that simple. And he's not to blame for any of the violence that took place. But all those who hate Trump, the Democrat Party, the media, the never Trumpers, the rhinos, they're all in this. Because it's uh, considered to their advantage. And they're smearing all of us and they're attacking all of us. It's not going to work. More on that later. Got a lot to cover. Three hours is normally not enough, but we do our best here. I was uh, shocked, and yet there it is in the Associated Depressed, a piece about this group called the Lincoln Project by Steve Peoples and Brian Sladasco. And I want you to hear about this. This is the group that runs really the most abusive types of ads it commits character assassination. Uh, and just, just an appalling bunch of uh, a-holes, quite frankly. How a leading anti-Trump group ignored a crisis in its ranks. And of course, they're talking about the Lincoln Project. Last June, the Lincoln Project was on a high, led by several prominent former Republican consultants. Well, that's overstating it. It slickly produced ads attacking President Trump made it perhaps the best known of the so-called never-Trump organizations. The group tried to claim a high moral ground in an effort to purge Trump from the GOP. 
money flowed in by the tens of millions of dollars from donors eager to help. But within the organization, a crisis was brewing. In June 2020, members of the organization's leadership were informed in writing and in subsequent phone calls of at least 10 specific allegations of harassment against co-founder John Weaver, including two involving Lincoln Project employees, according to multiple people with direct knowledge of the situation. The email and phone calls raised questions about the Lincoln Project's statement last month that it was shocked when accusations surfaced publicly this year. It's also the first known suggestion that Weaver targeted a Lincoln Project staffer. Now, despite the early warning, the group took no action against Weaver and pressed forward with its high-profile work for the collection of GOP consultants and former officials being anti-Trump was becoming very good for business. Of the 90 million the Lincoln Project raised, more than 50 million has gone to the firms controlled by the group's leaders. There's no evidence that the Lincoln Project buried the allegations against Weaver for business reasons, but taken together, the harassment allegations and new revelations about spending practices raise significant questions about the management of one of the highest-profile antagonists of Trump. The revelations threaten the stature of not just the Lincoln Project, but the broader coalition of establishment-oriented Republican groups working to excise Trump from the party. Ain't going to happen. Never going to happen. Wouldn't be prudent. Lincoln Project co-founder Steve Schmidt, now that guy is the slimest of the slime balls insisted that he and the rest of the group's leadership were not aware of any internal allegations of wrongdoing involving Weaver. Well, let's hope that the people who were abused and used bring one civil suit after another, and then Mr. Schmidt can tell his story under oath. Quote, no Lincoln Project employee, intern, or contractor has ever made an allegation of inappropriate communication about John Weaver that would have triggered an investigation by HR or by an outside employment counsel, Schmidt said. In other words, no human being ever made an allegation about any inappropriate sexualized communications about John Weaver ever, quote unquote. Those kinds of statements are very useful in depositions, Mr. Producer. Weaver declined to comment for this story, but in a statement released Late last month, to Axios, he generally acknowledged misconduct and apologized. To the men, I made uncomfortable through messages that I viewed as consensual, mutual conversations at the time. I'm truly sorry. They were inappropriate, and it was because of my failings that this discomfort was brought on you. The Lincoln Project, launched in November 2019, is a super PAC that allowed its leaders to raise and spend unlimited sums of money. Its founders represent a who's who of prominent Republican strategists on cable television, including Schmidt and Reed Galen, both former advisors to John McCain, conservative attorney George Conway, former New Hampshire GOP chair Jennifer Horn, Florida-based veteran political ad maker Rick, what happened to my teeth, Wilson, and Weaver, has long advised former Ohio Governor John Kasich. How do you like that? 
Backed by its founder's commanding social media presence, the organization quickly attracted a massive following of Trump critics in both parties that exceeded even its founder's expectations. Since its creation, the Lincoln Project has raised $90 million, but only about a third of the money, roughly $27 million, directly paid for advertisements that aired on broadcast and cable or appeared online during the 2020 campaign, according to an analysis of the campaign finance disclosures and data from the ad tracking firm Cantor CMAG. That leaves tens of millions of dollars that went toward expenses like production costs, overhead, and exorbitant consulting fees collected by members of the group. Quote, it raises questions about where the rest of the money ultimately went, said Brendan Fisher, an attorney with the nonpartisan campaign legal center in Washington. Generally speaking, you'd expect to see a major super PAC spend a majority or more of their money on advertisements. And that's not what happened here. I think maybe the criminal division of the Justice Department should look into this. The problem is, of course, the Justice Department is now controlled by criminals, at least political hacks. The vast majority of the cash was split among consulting firms controlled by its founders, including about $27 million paid to a small firm controlled by Galen, and another $21 million paid to a boutique firm run by former Lincoln Project member Ron Steslow. That would be Steslow. Campaign finance disclosures show. But in many cases, it's difficult to tell how, many, how much members of the group were paid. That's because the Lincoln Project adopted a strategy, much like the Trump campaign they criticized, to mask how much money they earned. While several firms did collect payments, Weaver and Wilson are not listed in publicly available records. They were likely paid as subcontractors to those firms, an arrangement that avoids disclosure. See how sleazy these guys are? Schmidt collected a $1.5 million payment in December, but quickly returned it. I, 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 don't, know. Hey, I don't know if I should keep that. I better give this back. Oh, my goodness. I may lose my gig on MSLSD. And, uh, no, no, I better give this money back. He's kind of curly of the Three Stooges, don't you think, Mr. Producer? Whoop, 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 whoop. We fully comply with the law, Schmidt said. The Lincoln Project will be delighted to open its books for audit immediately after the Trump campaign. This is, see, this is, this is what sleazeballs do. It has nothing to do with the Trump campaign. The focus is on you, low IQ. Immediately after the Trump campaign and all affiliated super PACs do so, explaining the cash flow of the nearly $700 million that flowed through their organization controlled by Brad Parscale and Jared Kushner. All right. When you deflect like that, when you don't have to deflect like that, that does raise serious questions about whether you even believe the BS that you're putting out. I think the relevant United States attorney should start issuing subpoenas and look into this. Maybe impanel a grand jury. Maybe bring from these, some of these boys in front of the grand jury. Then let's see if they have uh, definitive statements to make. The Lincoln Project parted with one co-founder, Horn, last week, claiming in an unusual public statement that she was seeking a quarter of a million signing bonus and a $40,000 a month consulting contract. You see, Trump made these people rich, didn't he, Mr. Producer? This is why they can't let Trump go. This is why the media can't let Trump go, because of the rates they charge advertisers, because of the ratings. 
This is why the Democrats can't let Trump go, because then we would focus on their Marxist agenda, which would drag down their ratings. Horn said that she left following revelations of Weaver's grotesque behavior and divergent views with existing leadership about how to move forward. More like the John Wilkes Booth project, wouldn't you say? Public records reveal that the unexpected success of the Lincoln Project has extended a lifeline to some founders who've spent much of their past decade under financial distress. Oh, do tell. And I will when we come back. And I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Are you worried about America's future? Times of trouble are full of reasons to despair. But those who built and have preserved our country didn't despair. So to do our part, we need to draw on the books, the history, and the ideas that gave our forefathers and mothers strength and inspiration. Hillsdale College was founded in 1844 to teach these very things, and it teaches them still today. We can all study these things, all with Hillsdale College professors right in our homes. Through Hillsdale's free online courses, we can study the history of our civilization, the wisdom of ancient and Judeo-Christian philosophers, and the writings of Shakespeare and Mark Twain. We can reacquaint ourselves with our Constitution. We can learn how the Constitution has been undermined, and more importantly, how it can be recovered. Friends, as we fight in defense of family, faith, and freedom, let us draw on the best of the past with Hillsdale's guidance to save the greatest nation on earth. Begin learning today at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. Let's continue. The Associated uh, Press does an annual exam of the Lincoln Project. Over the past decade, Rick Weaver has repeatedly failed to pay taxes. Did you know that, Mr. Producer? Defaulted on loans and faced lawsuits from creditors seeking to collect. Isn't that the guy that yucked it up with D. Lemon about the average Trump supporter? Isn't that the guy? No, that's a different guy. Weaver's the one who's accused of these perverse activities, I guess. In October, he paid off 313000 in bank, back taxes <clears throat> excuse me, owed to the IRS, dating back to 2011. You see, this was a cash cow for these guys. A separate case in Texas is still pending over $340,000 back rent his family owes after shuttering a children's boutique they operated, records show. Others used the money earned during their time with the Lincoln Project to refinance homes or purchase a new one. Schmidt purchased a $1.4 million Mountain Modern Custom Home in Kamas, Utah, with five bedrooms, seven baths, and a stunning view of the mountains, according to property records and real estate listings. He's currently trying to resell that home for $2.9 million. Boy, Trump's been good for these guys. But as money flowed into the group, multiple people with direct knowledge said allegations against Weaver were repeatedly raised inside the organization long before leaders acknowledged them publicly in late January. Those with knowledge insisted on anonymity in order to disclo- uh, disclose private communications. Last June, someone working for the Lincoln Project payroll sent an email to Steslow, one of the organization's co-founders, detailing numerous cases of sexual harassment involving Weaver that spanned several years. While the AP has not seen the email, its contents were confirmed by four people who had directly seen it. Schmidt 
That would be Steve Schmidt did not confirm the existence of the email, saying only that if one existed, it was not shared with anyone on the organization's board or leadership. But multiple people familiar with this situation say that Steslow immediately raised the email with Galen, who helped manage day-to-day operations at the time, and the Lincoln Project's corporate counsel, Matthew Sanderson. Steslow also encouraged his colleagues to remove Weaver from the organization. Where was Steve Schmidt? What, did he have a blackout or something? Those allegations and others were discussed on subsequent phone calls with organization leaders in June and August, and employees were assured that the alleged incidents would be investigated. Weaver went out on medical leave in August, but as the presidential campaign moved into the summer and fall, there was no formal resolution. The Washington Blade reported earlier this week details of another set of internal communications over the summer, indicating that Lincoln Project leaders were aware of allegations against Weaver and preparing to respond to media reports. The allegations against Weaver followed a similar pattern in which the 61-year-old married father of two would allegedly send private messages to young gay men on Twitter. They often began with references to work before shifting to things like their personal appearances without workout routines and favorite sexual positions. At least two Lincoln Project employees were targeted last year, including an intern who was finishing law school and a communications staffer. There's no allegation of physical conduct, uh, contact. rather. George Conway, one of the group's co-founders, said Thursday that he had not received anything of value for his Lincoln Project work, and he denied knowledge of last summer's internal neg- uh, discussions. Sounds like the dumbest of them all, doesn't he, Mr. Producer? No one ever told me of these comp- complaints being made to the Lincoln Project, and the first I ever heard that Weaver may have done anything questionable were rumors I heard well after the election and long after I ceased active involvement with the organization. I see. Well, very, very interesting. Very, very interesting. It's amazing how these clowns in Washington make money. It's amazing how they exercise power. There's George Conway, apparently the dumbest of the dumb. All the stuff swirling around the organizations, emails, messages, people making millions, paying off their debt, buying new homes, and old George, he's just doing it as a matter of principle, you see. Just a matter of principle. Really, as a matter of principle? Well, I think what you did to your wife was about as unprincipled as it gets. Perhaps you're the biggest sleazeball of the bunch, George. I'll be right back. Are you worried about America's future? Times of trouble are full of reasons to despair. But those who built and have preserved our country didn't despair. So to do our part, we need to draw on the books, the history, and the ideas that gave our forefathers and mothers strength and inspiration. Hillsdale College was founded in 1844 to teach these very things. And it teaches them still today. We can all study these things, all with Hillsdale College professors right in our homes. Through Hillsdale's free online courses, we can study the history of our civilization, the wisdom of ancient and Judeo-Christian philosophers, and the writings of Shakespeare and Mark Twain. We can reacquaint ourselves with our Constitution. We can learn how the Constitution has been undermined, and more importantly, how it can be recovered. 
Friends, as we fight in defense of family, faith, and freedom, let us draw on the best of the past with Hillsdale's guidance to save the greatest nation on earth. Begin learning today at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. Mark Levin, radio's hell-raising intellectual. Call now, 877-381-3811. Donald Trump was the greatest betrayer of the presidency in history. We're hearing this from the left, hearing this from Andy McCarthy. He was the greatest betrayer of the American people. In history. Former federal prosecutor and others. They have no evidence for any of these kinds of. Outrageous statements. But it is interesting isn't it? So. Trump. Is the greatest betrayer. Of any president in history. It also shows you the extent to which these people are illiterate when it comes to American history. Woodrow Wilson. This is Vox, a left-wing site, talking about a left-wing president. Woodrow Wilson was extremely racist, even by the standards of his time. Now, keep in mind now, McCarthy and others think Trump, not Wilson, and I could mention others, was the greatest betrayer of his office for giving a speech, you see for questioning the election. Dylan Matthews. A group of Princeton students stormed the offices of President Christopher Eisgruber. Now this is back a ways, uh, 2015. To demand that Woodrow Wilson's name be removed from all programs and buildings at the university. It's a big ask. Princeton has an entire school, the Woodrow Wilson School of Public and International Affairs, Named after Wilson, who served as university president from 2002 to 1910, before his time in the White House. It also has Wilson College, a residential college for undergrads. But what is it about Wilson? Leaving aside the broader question of whether Wilson's name should be removed, let's be clear on one thing. Woodrow Wilson was, in fact, a racist pig. He was a racist by current standards, and he was a racist by the standards of the 1910s, a period widely acknowledged by historians as the nadir of post-Civil War race relations in the United States. Easily the worst part of Wilson's record as president was his overseeing the resegregation, the resegregation of multiple agencies of the federal government, which had been surprisingly integrated as a result of Reconstruction decades earlier. At an April 11, 1913 cabinet meeting, Postmaster General Albert Burleson argued for segregating the railway mail service. He took exception to the fact that workers shared glasses, towels, and washrooms. Wilson offered no objection to Burleson's plan for segregation, saying that, quote, he wished the matter adjusted in a way to make the least friction, unquote. Both Burleson and Treasury Secretary William McAdoo took Wilson's comments as authorization to segregate. The Department of Treasury and the Post Office Department both introduced screened-off workplaces, separate lunchrooms, and separate bathrooms. 
1913 open letter to Wilson, W.E.B. Du Bois, who had supported Wilson in the 1912 election before being disenchanted by his segregationist policies, wrote of, quote, one colored clerk who could not actually be segregated on account of the nature of his work and who consequently had a cage built around him to separate him from his white companions of many years. These Democrats in their cages, Mr. Producer. That's right. Black people who couldn't logically be segregated were put in literal cages, Andy McCarthy. Outright dismissals were also common. Upon taking office, Wilson himself fired 15 out of 17 black supervisors in the federal service and replaced them with white people. After the Treasury and Post Office began segregating, many black workers were let go. The head of the Internal Revenue Division in Georgia fired all of his black employees, saying there are no government positions for Negroes in the South, and Negroes' place is in the cornfield. To enable hiring discrimination going forward, in 1914, the federal government, that is Wilson, began requiring photographs on job applications. In 1914, a group of black professionals led by newspaper editor and Harvard alumnus Monroe Trotter met with Wilson to protest the segregation. Wilson informed Trotter, quote, segregation is not humiliating, but a benefit and ought to be so regarded by you gentlemen, unquote. When Trotter insisted that it's untenable in view of established facts to maintain that the segregation is simply to avoid race friction for the simple reason that for 50 years, he said, white and colored clerks have been working together in peace and harmony and friendliness. Wilson admonished him for his tone. Quote, if this organization is ever to have another hearing before me, it must have another spokesman. Your manner offends me. Your tone with its background of passion. It's worth stressing that Wilson's policies were racist even for his time. Presidents Teddy Roosevelt and William Howard Taft have been much better about appointing black statesmen to public office and other political figures, including whites, attacked Wilson's moves towards segregation. The influential pro-civil rights journalist Oswald Garrison Villard wrote that the Wilson administration, quote, has allied itself with the forces of reaction, put itself on the side of every torture, every oppressor, every perpetrator of racial injustice in the South or the North. He further attacked it for its political stupidity. The administration is put into the hands of the Republican Party, an issue which, if they had the sense to use it, may be just the touchstone they are seeking. Villard was taken seriously by the White House, which tried to court him on the issue and offered hints that it might be changing its tone. He met with Wilson and, uh, Wilson and corresponded with him on racial issues numerous times. But the segregationist policies were never reversed. Some Republicans seized upon the issue, though it wasn't the political game changer that Villard hoped it would be. Congressman John J. Rogers of Massachusetts introduced resolutions urging investigation of treatment of Negro employees in the Treasury and Post Office Departments. Historian Nancy Weiss writes, but both measures died in committee without gaining so much as a hearing. Wilson's racism even extended to foreign affairs. While it had been customary to appoint black ambassadors to Haiti and and, uh, Santo Domingo, now the Dominican Republic, Wilson didn't do that either. At the Versailles Convention in 1919, Wilson helped kill a proposal from Japan 
calling for the treaty to recognize the principle of racial equality. Oh, no, no, it's racial equity, anyway. While 11 out of 17 members at the meeting, considering the amendment, favored it, Wilson, who was presiding, arbitrarily decided the amendment had, uh, had been defeated because the vote wasn't unanimous. This wasn't an actual rule that the proceedings were operating under. A simple majority was enough to decide that the League of Nations, excuse me, was enough to decide. Uh, let's see, lost my place. Nonetheless, Wilson had been governor of New Jersey when he became president in 1913, but he'd been born in Virginia and raised in Georgia and South Carolina. He was, historian William Kyler notes, the first Southerner elected the presidency since Zachary Taylor in 1848. Southern racists accordingly rejoiced his election, and it goes on and on and on. Wilson himself was the descendant of Confederate soldiers and identified deeply with the lost cause narrative according to which the Confederacy was a government of noble men trying to preserve a decent agrarian way of life against crude northern industrialists rather than a separatist movement premised on white supremacy. Historian Wesley Moody describes Wilson's most famous book as an academic, a history of the American people as steeped in lost cause mythology. I assume he would be banned by Twitter today, wouldn't he, Mr. Producer? The book was generally sympathetic to the Ku Klux Klan, describing them as men half outlawed, denied the suffrage without hope of justice in the courts, who meant to take this means to make their will felt. This means being violent and intimidation against black people. The following quote from the book even made it its way into the birth of a nation, D.W. Griffin's infamous feature, valorizing the Ku Klux Klan as saviors of the South. This quote from Woodrow Wilson. The white men were roused by a mere instinct of self-preservation until at last there had sprung into existence a great Ku Klux Klan, a venerable empire of the South to protect the Southern country, unquote. And it goes on and on and on, the racist comments and behavior of this man who set back race relations and integration for a hundred years. And yet, individuals the likes of McCarthy and others say that Donald Trump was the great betrayer. Donald Trump was the great betrayer. His opposition to the results of the election, his speech on January 6th. It was Donald Trump who must have worked, I guess, with the militant, violent militia types, telling them to organize before the protest telling them to arm themselves before the protest, telling them to break into the Capitol building before the protest. Donald Trump incited these people, you see. But Donald Trump didn't do any of that. None of it. Donald Trump directed 10,000 National Guardsmen to be on call. They were never called up by local authorities, or even Congress had the power to do so, never did it. Donald Trump had no idea what was about to happen. The FBI knew. It's even possible Nancy Pelosi knew. It's even possible Mitch McConnell knew, or at least warned, that there were grave threats at the Capitol building. There's no evidence whatsoever that Donald Trump knew any of it. The great betrayer? We hear this from a former federal prosecutor, among others. 
What kind of prosecutor? No offense, I'm not trying to be personal, but if they're going to make public statements, and if they're going to try and destroy Donald Trump and push a narrative, then we need to pursue this. We need to look into this. We've had some really, really lousy presidents. But you're going to hold up Donald Trump and that speech, which has been used by the Russia collusion crowd, which has been used by the the Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer crowd, who've never had an honest day in their lives. As fact, as fact, and use that to not only try and destroy Donald Trump and Mar-a-Lago, but to apparently, apparently, men like Woodrow Wilson, not give them a pass, but give them a pass as the great betrayers. This is the problem. This is the problem in promoting the comments and arguments of individuals who don't have any frigging idea what they're talking about. I'll be right back. Are you worried about America's future? Times of trouble are full of reasons to despair. But those who built and have preserved our country didn't despair. So to do our part, we need to draw on the books, the history, and the ideas that gave our forefathers and mothers strength and inspiration. Hillsdale College was founded in 1844 to teach these very things, and it teaches them still today. We can all study these things, all with Hillsdale College professors right in our homes. Through Hillsdale's free online courses, we can study the history of our civilization, the wisdom of ancient and Judeo-Christian philosophers, and the writings of Shakespeare and Mark Twain. We can reacquaint ourselves with our Constitution. We can learn how the Constitution has been undermined, and more importantly, how it can be recovered. Friends, as we fight in defense of family, faith, and freedom, let us draw on the best of the past with Hillsdale's guidance to save the greatest nation on earth. Begin learning today at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. Now, ladies and gentlemen, next hour, I'm going to begin the process here on the Mark Levin Show of building a list, not a complete list, clearly an impartial list of individuals who are out of office and some of whom are even dead, who should be impeached and tried by the United States Senate. What do you think, Mr. Producer? I'm going to start this process, then some clever journalist or columnists will pick up on it. That's okay. But I, I've been giving this a lot of thought. I think I'm persuaded by Chuck Schuber, Schuber, uh, no, Cooper, whatever. Chuck Cooper, my friend Ted, the Democrats, the media. I am persuaded now that you can impeach people who've left office and try them and prevent them from ever running again. As a matter of fact, to make their logical assertion, There's nothing in the Constitution that prevents Congress from impeaching and trying dead people. Right, Mr. Producer? So we want to impeach Woodrow Wilson, do we not? We want to remove him from office, do we not? We want to make sure he can never run again, don't we, Rich? So in addition 
to impeaching and trying Woodrow Wilson. There's arguments that could be made about Franklin Roosevelt with his treatment of Japanese Americans and Jewish refugees and his abuse of power using the IRS and the FBI and so forth and so on. We must not tolerate such betrayal of the American people. And so they must be posthumously impeached and tried. But then there are individuals who are actually living who I would argue need to be impeached and tried by the Senate, receive their scarlet letter, and make sure they can never run again, even though they probably have no intention of running again. doesn't matter what they intend, right? So we'll take a look at that next hour. Now, ladies and gentlemen, as I said on Hannity's show last night on Fox, as I said, this is one of the stupidest events in all of American history, this trial. By probably the stupidest people ever to serve in Congress. Stupid, stupid people. Introducing videos of the attack on the Capitol. You know what that proves? That proves the Capitol was attacked by the people in the video. It doesn't prove anything beyond that. Nothing. It's inadmissible. It's inflammatory. And yet Lisa Murkowski and her 13 IQ points were very persuaded by this. Cassidy of Louisiana was sitting on the edge of his chair. Unbelievable. Oh, but, but did you see one of the stooges, I mean one of the House Democrat impeachment managers, introduced graphics of what was presented in affidavits at some of the criminal defendants that their lawyers put together and their defendants signed. Well, we all know that's a fact. We all know that's truth. We all know that's evidence, don't we, Mr. Producer? That's not self-serving. It's direct evidence of nothing. That's inadmissible, too. We've had three days of inadmissible stuff thrown at senators who are mostly too stupid to know. All the talk, all the videos, all the graphics. There's no link. Nothing whatsoever. Zero. Zero. Hello. Hello. Nothing. Not to mention that we have a rogue house, rogue house managers, rogue senators, and a rogue senate. Because the Senate is conducting activity, it has absolutely no authority to conduct. So the great irony and the stupidity is, the Senate is claiming to uphold the Constitution, while the Senate is undermining the Constitution. Now, who should be impeached and tried who's no longer in public office? I've got a few ideas. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. 
Hello, America. I'm Mark Levin. Our number, 877-381-3811. We have a, a significantly, a significant number of individuals who want the Constitution to say that we can impeach and try and punish in constitutional ways people who've already left office. Now, this is absurd on its face. They have absolutely no support from this in any of the original documents at the time. Nothing. And so they look at British common law, or they twist words around, or they move commas and all the rest. The usual hocus-pocus. But I'm thinking, okay, if that's the way things work, there are some living individuals today who served in high public office who need to be impeached. The next time there's a Republican majority in the House that has the guts to actually do it. And they need to be tried, as we all know. The sole power of impeachment is with the House, and once they impeach, the Senate must try. We know this. Chuck Cooper told us this. And so that's the way it is. The wise, small men have spoken. Barack Obama, unconstitutionally, unleashed investigations against reporters in this country, including reporters who worked for the New York Times, the Associated Press, and Fox News. They monitored the conversations of a number of these reporters to gather information about their sources. You never heard a single objection to this from the media themselves or from his party. Nothing. We never did get to the bottom of that, did we? The only presidents to really uh, treat the media the way Obama did. And by the way, no such thing happened under Donald Trump, even though the media hate him. The other presidents who conducted themselves this way are gone now. Lyndon Johnson. John Kennedy. Franklin Roosevelt. Nixon. But Nixon was punished for that. The others were not. And so I guess we would have to ask these constitutional scholars, so-called, can we impeach and try individuals who are no longer with us? I mean, the Constitution doesn't say you can't. But let's get back to this. So why shouldn't we bring Barack Melhouse Benito Obama back? Impeach him and try him for his attack. Not his verbal attack, but his use of the instrumentalities of federal law enforcement against private media. Why should we not have that kind of an impeachment hearing and, in fact, an impeachment? Why should Barack Obama not be placed on trial? I think it's a very important question. We have a former Secretary of State. She goes by the name of Hillary Rodham Clinton. 
Hillary Rodham Clinton, we've now learned as a candidate, was involved in funding uh, through a money laundering scheme, if you will, through Perkins Coy, uh, their bag man, uh, Fusion GPS. That is, funding a former Russian spy to produce a dossier like the old Soviet Union that was used widely to try and undermine candidate Trump, president-elect Trump, and President Trump. That's just one charge. Second charge is, she said that Trump is an illegitimate president, that he colluded with Russia. We now all know that's a lie. We now all know that's a lie. And thirdly, she advised candidate Biden to do not accept defeat, even if he's defeated. So she made comments that were inciting. She undermined our electoral system. And she gave aid and comfort to the enemy. I'm just saying, those could be three impeachment charges against now Hillary Clinton, who has obviously left office. She's no longer in public office. But she is, according to the geniuses, she's subject to impeachment, and she's subject to trial, and she's subject to the consequences of a trial. So there's two, right off the bat. But there's a third one that I can think of right off the top of my head. He now sits as President of the United States. You see, we now know, as Vice President of the United States, Joe Biden was the master halfwit in respects behind the unlawful pursuit of Michael Flynn. It was Joe Biden who came up with the Logan Act as a pretext to unleash a full-scale criminal investigation against General Flynn. He lied. We are, and we also all know the Logan Act is, is a dead letter. But Biden was behind it. Should not Biden face an, at least one impeachment charge based on the time when he was vice president of the United States? Should he not be tried by the Senate? I mean, I think what the, what the House needs to do is have a permanent impeachment committee now. What the Senate needs to do is have a permanent trial committee so they can start organizing these things like the French Revolution. We can just start bringing them through one after another, one after another. I mean, after all, the framers didn't say you couldn't. They didn't say you couldn't, you know, and it's self-executing and all that. And I looked at not only British history, I looked at French history. And look at that. They had guillotines and everything else. And what about that? Why even have a trial? Constitution doesn't say what kind of trial. You saw what happened in impeachment in the House. What's his name, Donald Trump? Okay, guilty, send him to the Senate. That's pretty much what happened. They're not even going through the steps of an acceptable trial process in the Senate. They're watching videos. Violent videos of an attack on the Capitol building. Which goes to prove that there were violent attacks on the Capitol building. That's all it proves. They're putting in statements from affidavits 
that defense lawyers had the criminal defendants sign, which blamed their criminal action, allegedly, on the President of the United States' speech. He was sending me signals. He sent me signals. Signals. Oh, yes. We knew what he meant. Any lawyer would bring that up in a court of law, they'd lose their license. But it's the Senate. And we all know the Senate has different standards. It's political. It's a political show trial. That's all. But the Constitution says, no, 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 no. You can try him. You can, you can do anything you need to do, even though he's no longer in office. It's okay. But it doesn't, say, doesn't matter. It's okay. It's okay. And there's another reason to impeach Vice President Joe Biden. And that's all the corruption that existed in his family. You know, the Democrats, if Joe Biden had been a Republican, would be all over Biden and his family. He would have been impeached a long time ago. And so Joe Biden needs to be impeached from the vice presidency. Well, he's no longer there. But hey, hey, don't look at me. I'm just telling you what they're out there saying right now. Laugh at them. Don't laugh at me. Joe Biden, former vice president, current president, should be impeached for what Joe Biden and his family did when Joe Biden was vice president. Get it? Yes, I do. Then we can remove him from the vice presidency, Mr. Producer. You understand what I'm saying? And once we remove him from the vice presidency, we can prevent him from ever running from office again. Which means, I suppose, he's an illegitimate president. We've got to ask. We have to ask former law professor, law professor emeritus Lawrence Tron. He'll have insight. He can explain it to us. Or this guy, Treminsky, or whatever the hell his name is. We can ask him out there on the West Coast. Everybody goes to him for keen constitutional insight. Sure we can. And there's so many others. We just need to start making our list. And dragging them before the House. And then drag them before the Senate. Pull them out of their private lives. Make them stand. Make them face their accusations. The accusations and their accusers. Bring them back. Stand in the well. I could see this, man. This this could get very interesting, couldn't it? No, it shouldn't. I'm doing this to underscore how disgusting and stupid and outrageous this is. How the people who make comments and try to pretend this is what the framers intended and this is what the Constitution says are off their rocker. And what's going on in the Senate today is humiliating to our Republican form of government and our constitutional order. It is humiliating. This is the stupidest Congress, and that's saying something, because there's been a lot of stupid Congresses. This is a stupid show trial. It's not even a kangaroo court. I like kangaroos. There are no rules of evidence. Oh, it's political. Yeah, we know. 
no serious rules of evidence, no serious standards. And then there's, and I'll tell you how we know, because Lisa Murkowski is a perfect barometer, because she falls for it. I, I feel like they've made a very powerful argument over that. Powerful argument for what, you idiot? I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Over 2,000 of you, my listeners, made the switch from overpriced wireless carriers to Pure Talk over the past few months. We want the rest of you to join us and to see what we're talking about. If you're with AT&T and Verizon or T-Mobile, your family could save over $800 a year just by switching to Pure Talk. You get great coverage, you can keep your phone and your number, and you'll save a fortune. Pure Talk is the top-rated wireless company by Consumer Affairs with the absolute best consumer service team based right here in America. Does that sound good? Well, it gets better. Right now, get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data, just $30 a month. And if you go over on data, they don't charge you for it. They don't care. Go to puretalkusa.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. Again, puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin, L-E-V-I-N Podcast. And when you do, you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. Michael M. Grinbaum is upset, Mr. Producer. Not to be confused with Michael S. Grinbaum, of course, of the famous Grinbaum, Grinbaum, and Grinbaum uh, Flying Walunda Act. He is a self-described journalist at the self-described newspaper called the New York Times. And he's very concerned. He and the other hatchet men and women working for the New York Times did a hit piece on radio which I'll circle back to in a moment. And he tweets the following. One big takeaway from our New York Times piece on pre-riot rage on right-wing radio. Pre-riot rage on right-wing radio. iHeart Media and Cumulus Media, the corporate bosses of Rush Limbaugh, Mark Levine, Glenn Beck et al., get very little scrutiny. Cumulus wouldn't even acknowledge our inquiries. Ah, New York Times, we got to get these radio companies. We got to get these radio companies. We're going through the culture trying to destroy all avenues of speech with which we disagree. We've got to get, and they won't even respond to us. I have decided on Life, Liberty, and Levin on one Sunday. In the next month or two, I'm going to commit an entire hour to the New York Times, and I'm going to do it myself, Mr. Wouldn't that be fascinating? And I will remind the American people of what the New York Times is. And I will remind the American people of what the New York Times did or didn't do in some of the most horrific genocidal periods in modern world history. And maybe I'll invite Michael M. Grinbaum on the program. Maybe I won't. But he falls right in line with the other propagandists of old. Maybe they'll hand him some kind of Walter Durante award. You never know. So why is Michael M. Grinbaum upset? He and Tiffany Hsu and Katie Robertson and Keith Collins work so hard. 
on their piece entitled How Right-Wing Radio Stoked Anger Before the Capitol Siege. First of all, it's not right-wing radio, you blithering idiot. It's conservative radio. Secondly, stoked anger before the capital siege. Are you trying to suggest that any of us stoked violence? Because if that's your suggestion, just say it so we can sue your ass off and own your newspaper. Right, Mr. Producer? Why are you playing games? Why are you playing games? So they try and sort of sketch together comments made by several of us, none of which stoke the flames of violence, none of which have anything to do with what took place at the Capitol building on January 6th. I mean, you would have thought we tried to cover up the Holocaust or something. Oh, that's them. So this article is a fiction. The entire thing is a fiction. It is a dangerous, manufactured game of words. Cherry-picking. Shows hosted by Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity, and other talk radio stars promoted debunked claims of a stolen election and urged listeners to fight back. You can't give your opinion of this election, ladies and gentlemen. You're stoking Debunk claims of stolen election? You mean like Russia collusion? This idiot newspaper got awards for lying about it. Urged listeners to fight back? Well, of course we did. Not with gas masks and guns and machetes and whatever else people had. And they know this. They know this full well. But the New York Times is a bubble. They're in a bubble. They write to themselves. They're writing to leftists. In Manhattan apartments. Mostly quite wealthy white leftists in Manhattan apartments who live under rent control. In other words, they're writing to the DeCamio types, the mayor DeCamio types. They're not writing because they want to get facts out. They're not writing because they found some news or fa- No, 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 no. How right wing radio stoked anger before the Capitol siege. Of course, not left-wing TV, not left-wing newspapers, not left-wing radio, not left-wing social sites, not left-wing groups, not left-wing members of, of uh, Congress. No, 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 no. They don't stoke anything, do they? They didn't stoke the riots over the summer when they were celebrating Black Lives Matter and pretending Antifa didn't even exist. They didn't stoke violence. When they were trashing law enforcement left and right? No. They didn't stoke violence when they dared the President of the United States to use the Insurrection Act. No, they didn't stoke any violence. They didn't stoke violence when they downplayed what the looters and the arsonists were doing all through the summer. No, 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 no. Not in the least. I'll be right back. The Mark Levin Show, the pool feed for the conservative media. Dive in now, 877-381-3811. Let's continue, shall we? New York Times defends 1619 Project creator after she doxed another reporter. 
Oh, do tell. What is what is going on here? This is from Lee Brown. I don't know what <laughs> I don't know what this is from, Mr. Producer. It's from a oh, New York Post. Sorry. The New York Times is defending the creator of its controversial 1619 project. It's one big lie, as Biden would say, quoting Goebbels, after she doxed another reporter and then wiped her entire Twitter history, including messages she had first been challenged over. Nicole Hannah-Jones, 44, tweeted out Washington Free Beacon reporter Aaron Sabarium's cell phone number after he asked her, we should say dared to ask her, about old tweets where she spelled out the N-word amid uproar over the ouster of a veteran Times colleague getting fired for once using the word. Sabarium said the Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist kept his number online for 71 hours before deleting it, with a jockey exchange with another reporter suggesting she was aware it was up. So in other words, she posts this guy's phone number from the, the, be- the Free Beacon because he dared to ask her about some of her outrageous posts on social media. He said it was more annoying than alarming with some nasty voice messages, but nothing serious. A spokeswoman for the New York Times defended Hannah Jones, claiming to the Free Beacon that she had inadvertently posted Aaron's number when she tweeted an email she received from him. Look how they lie through their teeth on the left. She's deleted that tweet, Eileen Murphy emailed at 9.28 p.m. Monday, just four minutes after the Free Beacon last saw its reporter's number still online. By the next night, Hannah Jones had not just deleted the offending tweet, but her whole Twitter history, including the 2016 N-word message she had first been asked to elaborate on. Didn't some guy from the Times just get fired for using the N-word or something like it? In Peru or something? You see, Nicole Hannah-Jones is untouchable because she's a radical nutjob who's advanced a radical nutjob movement, a openly racist movement in my view. And uh, she's untouchable now. A spokeswoman for the New York Times uh, defended Hannah Jones, claiming to the Free Beacon that she had inadvertently posted Aaron's number. She claims it was purely coincidental, had nothing to do with the controversy. Quote, some of you may be aware, as I said this on on here more than once, I ought to delete my tweets at regular intervals now, she tweeted Tuesday night. Some of you may be aware as I said this on here more than once. Not exactly perfect English, may I say. This is an informal writing platform. It's called social media, she insisted. My permanent work gets published in articles. I don't need to delete entire history over one tweet. And yet that's what you did. I know people want to take credit for things that have nothing to do with them. But if I had already deleted a particular tweet... Why would you think I'd need to delete all my unrelated tweets? Uh, Maybe because there's more stuff in them? I'm ever amused by this place, she said of the Free Beacon report on her vanishing feed. She's ever amused. Free Beacon editor-in-chief, Aliana 
Johnson told National Review that the behavior in the Times' disingenuous response speak for themselves. They really don't. They need to be hammered. The 1619 Project is an ongoing initiative from the New York Times magazine. It began in August 29, and it is utterly and completely discredited except by ideologues who wish to replace American history with lies. Now, these lies, of course, always have a little kernel of information in them and truth. But overall, it's a pack of lies. And it's being now taught to your children in elementary school, middle school, and high school. Can we impeach uh, Schulzberger, Mr. Producer, the, uh, the family that has owned uh, the New York Times for all these years? I don't think any of them were ever public officials, though. Maybe not, but maybe we can expand it to include just regular private citizens who never served in office. Don't you think? We're going to take some calls, but before we do, I wanted to get this into. There's no connection to anything I've said. Leonardo DiCaprio, Ava DuVernay, more stars call on Biden to shut down the Dakota Access Pipeline. Oh, there she is. I didn't think she was still with us. Cher. Did you know Cher is well st- still with us, Mr. Producer? I didn't know she was still with us. It's glad to know. Who else? Jane Fonda. Oh, do tell. Robert Downey Jr. Chris Evans. Chris Hemsworth. Scarlett Johansson. Don Cheadle. Jason Momoa. Kerry Washington. Sarah Silverman. It's the same crowd. Amy Schumer. Yes. Of the famous Schumer, Schumer, and Schumer. Chelsea Handler, Jennifer Connolly, Paul Bettany, Joaquin Phoenix, and Rooney Mara. Now, this is the one I wanted to get to. You ready for this, Rich, in America? And newly engaged Aaron Rodgers and Shalene Woodley. Aaron Rodgers signed a petition against the Dakota Pipeline. Did you know this, Mr. Bidus? Does he know where the Dakota Pipeline is? So Aaron Rodgers, I want our brothers and sisters in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and all the hardworking blue-collar men and women in Green Bay, Wisconsin. We have a wonderful station there. We have a huge audience there. Aaron Rodgers signed the letter to shut down another pipeline. To put more blue-collar people out of work. Are you cheeseheads aware of this? What this Nimrod did? I've never been a fan of this guy. Never been a fan of this guy. You read these articles about the situation with his family members and so on. Who is this guy? That's not to say he isn't a great football player. I didn't say he wasn't a great football player. But I don't really care about that. In a hundred years, nobody will care who Aaron Rodgers was. But he signs a letter with a Hollywood scum. May I call them scum? I think I will, Mr. Producer. Who live the high life, who fly on private jets, who eat whatever they want to eat, who drive very, very expensive cars and more than one, who go to basketball games to watch LeBron James, who does exactly what they do while they trash the society. And there they are, the hardworking blue-collar men and women of America. All races, all backgrounds, all genitalia. 
They want to shut down, you see, another pipeline, the Dakota Access Pipeline. Any other pipelines? Yes, the the left wants to shut down all the pipelines. Did you know this? They want to shut all the pipelines. They shut all the pipelines. There will be massive brownouts and blackouts in this country. You know, to me, it's like the vaccine. If we could figure out how to do this. All the leading Democrats opposed it. They tried to politicize it. They tried to scare people and fear monger about vaccines. And yet there they are, butting in line, trying to get their vaccine shots. There he is, Joe Biden, whining about we didn't have enough vaccines. A guy who didn't want us to have vaccines or didn't believe we'd have vaccines because Trump was president. And then he says Trump didn't order enough vaccines. And I'm thinking to myself, this is a drug company, there's two of them, that have to produce these vaccines. And early on, we didn't have any vaccines. The president, every one of these major companies, we spend hundreds and hundreds of millions, if not billions, at the president's directive to produce hundreds of millions of vaccines. Companies can't produce what they don't yet know is going to get approval or not. It's not the way it works. And yet Trump pushed that to the edge and got them to do exactly that. So now Biden comes along. First they say, hey, this distribution plan is the worst in the world. We don't even know where 20 million vaccines are, right, honey? Where's my teeth? Anyway, uh, that was a lie. Trump didn't order enough vaccines. And so the stupid media sit there with their fingers up their nose and other orifices. And uh, they don't say to Biden, certainly because they can't get access to our president. I mean, after all, he's a dim-witted Caesar. But to Pasaki. Um, can we ask you a question? What's that? How many vaccines were the pharmaceutical companies able to produce in the first month? They don't even ask that. The reason why we have something to distribute is because of Operation Warp Speed. And Joe Biden came in and disassembled the entire group and chased off everyone. But Fauci, Fauci, he likes Fauci. They go way back when they both came to Washington together in 1912. Oh, yeah, they go way back. The Fauci. Yes, I'll be right back. in. Over 2,000 of you, my listeners, made the switch from overpriced wireless carriers to Pure Talk over the past few months. We want the rest of you to join us and to see what we're talking about. If you're with AT&T and Verizon or T-Mobile, your family could save over $800 a year just by switching to Pure Talk. You get great coverage, you can keep your phone and your number, and you'll save a fortune. Pure Talk is the top-rated wireless company by Consumer Affairs with the absolute best consumer service team based right here in America. Does that sound good? Well, it gets better. Right now, get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data, just $30 a month. And if you go over on data, they don't charge you for it. They don't care. Go to puretalkusa.com. 
and enter promo code Levin Podcast. Again, puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin, L E V I N Podcast. And when you do, you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. Breaking news, ladies and gentlemen. No, it's not from NBC or MSNBC or CNN. No, it's not from the New York Slimes or the Washington Compost. No, 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 no. It's in the New York Post. Cuomo aide admits they hid nursing home data so feds wouldn't find out. Bernadette Hogan, Carl Campanile, Bruce Golding. You understand Washington Compost and New York Slimes. This is how you write news. Governor Cuomo's top aide privately apologized to Democratic lawmakers for withholding the state's nursing home death toll from COVID-19, telling them, quote, we froze out of fear the true numbers would be used against us by federal prosecutors, the New York Post has learned. The stunning admission of a cover-up was made by Secretary to the Governor, to the governor Melissa DeRosa, during a video conference call with state Democratic leaders in which she said, that the Cuomo administration had rebuffed a legislative request for the tally in August. Because, quote, right around the same time, then-President Trump turns this into a giant political football, unquote, according to an audio recording of the two-hour-plus meeting. So in other words, Trump outed them, and so they lied and covered it up because they wanted to cover up their own deeds, and they didn't want Trump to be proven accurate. Quote, he starts tweeting that we killed everyone in nursing homes, DeRosa said. He starts going after New Jersey Governor Murphy. Starts going after California Governor Gavin Newsom. Starts going after Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. In addition to attacking Cuomo's fellow Democratic governors, DeRosa said Trump directs the Department of Justice to do an investigation into us. And basically we froze. Because then we were in a position where we weren't sure if what we were going to give to the Department of Justice or what we give to you guys or what we start saying was going to be used against us while we weren't sure if there was going to be an investigation. DeRosa added that played a very large role in this, so it's called a cover-up. It's a cover-up. After dropping the bombshell, DeRosa asked for a little bit of appreciation of the context and offered what appears to be the Cuomo administration's first apology for its handling of nursing homes and the pandemic. But instead of a mea culpa to the grieving family members of more than 13,000 dead seniors or the critics who say the health department spread COVID-19 in the care facilities with a March 25 state health department directive that nursing homes admit infected patients, DeRosa tried to make amends with the fellow Democrats for the political inconvenience it caused them. Quote, so we do apologize. I do understand the position that you were put in. I know that it's not fair. It was not our intention to put you in that political position with the Republicans. The Republicans? Assembly Health Committee Chairman Richard Gottfried, Democrat Manhattan, immediately rejected DeRose's expression of remorse, according to the recording. I don't have enough time today to explain all the reasons why I don't give that any credit at all, said, Wow. What this guy wake up and bump his head? Said Godfrey, one of the lawmakers who demanded the death toll date in August. I apologize. I want to salute Godfrey in this respect. 
State Senate Aging Committee Chairwoman Rachel May. Did you know she's aging, Mr. Producer? Who was battered during her re-election bid last year over the issue of nursing home deaths. Also ripped into DeRosa, saying her former opponent had launched another broadside earlier in the day. Quote, and the issue for me, the biggest issue of all, is feeling like I needed to defend or at least not attack an administration that was appearing to be covering something up. Yeah, not the dead people. That's her biggest concern. And in a pandemic, she said, when you want the public to trust the public health officials, and it goes on. I want to thank somebody, and I will give her the Mark Levin Freedom Award. Dr. Healy, who called this program and made it known to the entire world. First, right here on the Mark Levin Show, about this memo that Cuomo had pushed out. Forcing and directing nursing homes and senior facilities to take COVID-positive patients into their facilities. So we salute her and give her a medal of freedom of sorts. We'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. I'm Mark Levin. Our number is 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. And we will embark on... Uh, Phone calls momentarily, Mr. Producer, just to let you know. Now, I have before me, ladies and gentlemen, audio clip of Ted Lieu, the nut job from California, Jamie Raskin, the nut job from, I believe, Maryland, Diana Deggett, I don't know who the hell that is. Is she one of the impeachment managers? I guess so. Joan Nagusi who is uh, the uh, impeachment manager from Colorado, Lucy Nagusi there. Of course, we have Chuck Schumer, who, uh, who's a sick man. Joe Scarborough, who's also sick, man or otherwise. Um, let's see here. Okay, let's do this. Who, Mr. Producer, is uh, Terry Moran? Isn't he like a top political editor, reporter at ABC News? Well, then we need to play this. I want you to listen to Terry Moran, or as we like to refer to him, Terry Moran, at ABC News today, and tell me if this man is a reporter. Cut nine, go. One more thing, which is the, the way that Republicans just aren't going to budge, just whatever the nature of this argument, whatever the nature of the facts, is because I think we heard it in these... So stop. Vid- See, the Republicans aren't going to budge even if they get the facts. They're not going to budge even if they get the facts. 
because the Republicans are that way, ladies and gentlemen. He would know. He is a longtime journalist at ABC News. Go ahead. That the Democratic House managers are playing. Fight for Trump. Fight for Trump. Fight for Trump. Not fight for America. Oh, come on, you idiot. You moron. Not fight for America. It's fight for Trump. You know, it's like Black Lives Matter. They were fighting for America. It's like Antifa. They were fighting for America. It's like Ayah and Omar and Talib and all the rest. Fighting. They're fighting for America. Joe Biden, all his executive orders, destroying women's sports, opening the border, shutting down good-paying American jobs. He's fighting for America. They're all fighting for America. But Trump's supporters are fighting for him. You idiot. The election's being contested. This is a protest contesting the election. Nothing illegal. Nothing tawdry about it. What happened was... These, these militaristic types try to basically take over the event, and they've been pre-planning it. You'll get no facts from the city of Moran. Fight for Trump. Fight for Trump. I don't know what the hell we're going to do about the media. I really don't. Go ahead. Republican Party as a personalized power like we haven't seen. It's a Caudillo. It's a Caesar. It's a Fuhrer. We don't see that in this country. We do now. It's a Fuhrer? Did he say that, Mr. Producer? The senior national correspondent, ladies and gentlemen. Would you please invite Terry Moran on the program? I'm not kidding. And tell him Mark wants you to defend that term. And what exactly did you mean by that? I'm certain that the four stooges over there at the New York Slimes will now want to do a story on Terry Moron and his use of the word Fuhrer, won't they, Mr. Producer? Stoking the flames of hate and division. Surely they want to get to the bottom of this. Then we have uh, Bakari Sellers. Who's Bakari Sellers? It's a good question. Former South Carolina state representatives. But he's very, very important. It is a he, right, Mr. Producer? Bakari so important that CNN wants to hear from Bakari. I thought there was a drink. Isn't it a drink? I don't drink, so I don't know. Yes, I'll have, a, I'll have some rum with that, Bakari. Yeah, Bacardi. Whatever. Cut 10, go. They're going to be people like, uh, like, like Josh Hawley, like Ted Cruz, like Lindsey Graham, who are going to be on the side of insurrectionists throughout. Oh, they're on the side of insurrectionists. Oh, yeah, got to use that word, insurrectionists. On the side of insurrectionists. You notice when Barack Melhouse Benito Obama was hanging out with the domestic terrorists, they never even called those domestic terrorists, who were proven to be domestic terrorists, but they were let out of prison early on technicalities. Hey, what can I tell you? Have you noticed they never called them insurrectionists? They never called the FALN insurrectionists. Have you noticed that? They never called Black Lives Matter insurrectionists. They never call 
Antifa insurrectionists, and they are insurrectionists. They want to overthrow the country. But you see, Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz, see, it's not just Trump. You don't understand, ladies and gentlemen. Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz, 140 Republicans in the House. Donald Trump, conservative talk radio, certain opinion hosts on Fox were all in on this, just like they were on Russian collusion. They were all in on this. They were all not only supporting the insurrectionists, but they're insurrectionists themselves. They're on the side of the insurrection. Go ahead. Uh, throughout our history and when it's taught for years and years to come. And so, yeah, I, I don't think that anyone, I, you know, Scott and I, we come on here and we're good friends and we spar and I, we don't agree often, but I do think we would agree that there ain't going to be no conviction in this. But this is going to be a stain not just on the Republican Party, but our democracy for a very long period of time. And this is what happens when you mm-hmm, create a Frankenstein mm-hmm, that's unchecked mm-hmm. and that Frankenstein being Donald Trump. Oh, OK. So he's the fear. He's Frankenstein. This is sick. From the schmo. This is sick. But don't worry, it's not language that's inciting anybody, ladies and gentlemen. No, 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 not Bakari Sellers. He would never use language that incites anybody. Not Terry Moran. Hey, the Fuhrer, the Fuhrer, he must incite the Fuhrer. And he's not just trashing Trump there, which would be enough. He's trashing all of you, all of us. You're following Trump like the Nazis followed Hitler. This is what this guy... I really want to get this guy on here, Mr. Producer. Don't just send him emails to his public relation person. Get his phone number and tell him I want to talk to him. Because he's got some answering to do. And as far as I'm concerned, his sorry ass should be fired from ABC News to make comments like this. You know what I need to do? I need to take this clown by the hand and maybe take him to Dachau or Auschwitz. Say, look at this, you ass. Look. Look at this. And you sit there in your air-conditioned studios or now your heated studios on your fat ass and you talk about the Fuhrer in the same breath as Trump and the followers of the Fuhrer in the same breath as conservatives and Trump supporters and Republicans. Why the hell are you on TV? And where is the Washington Post and the New York Times? You're going to do any exposés on this? No, they're not. Because they'll only expose themselves in their own sorry history. Sick. Sick. You know, uh, one of the leaders today, in my view... Gutsy, conservative, intelligent. He's effective, competent. All the things that Joe Biden is not, are not rather, is Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, which is why the media trash this guy. It's amazing. They know he's an up-and-comer. They know that if Trump decides not to run, DeSantis might be a tough candidate. Now, he's not alone, but he might be a tough candidate. So we got to go after him. But DeSantis is sharp. This is what he does. He slams the media over the Tampa Bay fans celebrating the Super Bowl. Cut 11, go. The media is worried about that, obviously. You guys really love that. Uh, you don't care as much if it's a, quote, peaceful protest. And then it's fine. You don't care as much if they're celebrating a Biden election. You only care about if it's people that you don't like. 
So I'm a Bucks fan. I'm damn proud of what they did on Sunday night. He's talking about wearing a mask, and they're celebrating, and they didn't all wear masks. And then they're admonishing him, and he's admonishing them for the frauds that they are. Ron DeSantis today. Cut 12. Go. Yeah, well, people have asked me about uh, there was some type of report about potential travel restrictions on Americans and on Floridians. Uh, and I just I think it's an absurd report uh, that they would be doing that. I think it would be unconstitutional. It would be unwise and it would be unjust. And if you think about it, restricting the right of Americans to travel freely throughout our country while allowing illegal aliens to pour across the southern border unmolested would be a ridiculous but very damaging farce. So we will oppose it 100%. It would not be based in science. It would purely be a political attack against the people of Florida. Clearly a white supremacist, isn't he? Clearly. Now listen to how rational this is. Is there anybody in Washington who talks like this, Mr. Producer? No. Well, there might be a couple. You got Tom Cotton, Ted, a few others, but not many. Rand Paul. Rand Paul's been really good. But this guy's been a governor. He's actually had to manage and lead and execute. I'm just pointing it out. And his points are brilliant. Let me see, he says. So there's going to be some kind of restriction about Americans traveling between states? Meanwhile, illegal aliens are pouring over the border, and he's exactly right. Of course that's unconstitutional. Ladies and gentlemen, you're living in the midst of a growing tyranny. The New York Times is promoting it, which is why they attack people like me. The Washington Post is promoting it, which is why they attack people like me. I don't give a damn about them. I mean, these bastards covered up the Holocaust, for God's sakes. So, of course, they're going to cover up domestic tyranny. No, I want all violence exposed. I want all violent people punished. They don't. You know where the greatest violence is occurring right now, ladies and gentlemen? Right now, in the inner cities, in black and Latino neighborhoods, particularly black neighborhoods, where the death rate is through the ceiling, black-on-black crime. They don't discuss it. They're never going to discuss it. Instead, it's January 6th, January 6th, January 6th, Trump is the Fuhrer. He's got followers like the Fuhrer did. These are sick, petty, stupid, woke morons, not journalists. But look at the priorities here. Look at the priorities here. They have a high tolerance for murder on the left or ignoring murder on the left. A high tolerance. It's always about politics and power and controlling the country and controlling the narrative. Cut 13, go please. We are number one for shots for seniors. We've done 75% of all shots administered in Florida have gone to senior citizens. And the percentages of seniors that have been vaccinated is one of the highest in the country and it continues to grow every day. And so any attempt to restrict or lock down Florida by the federal government uh, would be an attack on our state uh, done purely for political purposes. And nobody's going to tell me I can't travel from one state to another. Nobody. 
Nobody. Now that we know about all the deaths, and we knew most of it before, in the nursing homes as a result of Andrew Cuomo's policies, now we know of the massive cover-up to prevent federal investigators from getting the information. You know, you hear about private citizens being charged all the time for this fraud and that fraud. Will there finally be an inquest? Will there finally be a grand jury investigating Cuomo? How about that nitwit, the Manhattan DA? who's busy always chasing Trump's taxes. How about doing something legitimate, you puke? How about it? Vance is his name. Vance Jr., of course. And will there be pressure on the United States Department of Justice to open a criminal investigation of Andrew Cuomo and his aides? Donald Trump was subjected to a criminal investigation for nothing. Andrew Cuomo has blood on his hands. Does he get a pass? I'll be right back. Mark Levin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. See, it's my contention, as you know, if you listen to this program or watch my various television programs, that it is the New York Times and the Washington Post, that it's CNN and MSNBC and NBC, ABC, CBS, that it is that media crowd. It's their party, the Democrat Party, their man Biden, with the proposals that are coming out that are so destructive and so destructive of only certain communities, of only certain populations, of only certain people, that whether it's financial policy or to come tax policy, whether it's immigration policy, whether it's any programmatic policies, whether it's the tyrannical decrees about who can travel where, how and when, what stores can be opened, what stores can't, what churches can do, what churches can't, the language about the Fuhrer, the language about neo-Nazis and Nazis and on and on and on. This is the mindset. These are the views. These are the programs of the left. It is the left that is violent. It is the left that is stoking violence. It is the left that ignores Antifa, celebrates BLM. It is the left that wants to use January 6th and what happened at the Capitol, which was horrendous, as an excuse for repression and suppression. It is the left that when the White House was attacked, mocked the victim, the President of the United States. It was the left that called federal law enforcement stormtroopers. 
when they were trying to defend a federal courthouse for 100 days in Portland, Oregon. This is an entire massive propaganda campaign. And every one of these freakoids know it. When they sit there at their Starbucks or some other cafe, sipping their tea and coffee, asking for more lemon and sweet and low, looking at each other, mocking us at us, laughing at us, pretending to write stories that are incisive and, and, uh, and investigative. When all they do is go on the Internet and listen to some of the shows and then try and paste things together as they giggle. These are the worst times of the media. We have the worst representatives imaginable in the United States Congress. The instrumentalities of government that are supposed to protect us, the state legislatures, are filled with cowards. Cowards. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. The Mark Levin Show, where we create the talking points. Call in now, 877-381-3811. You know, it's almost impossible to be a, uh, a young conservative actor or actress now. It just, it's almost impossible. Some of the old timers who really have a following and really kind of uh, have, have made their way, it's tough for them too. But if you're young and you're trying to make your way and you work for a Disney or one of these lousy studios, they're going to destroy you. What the hell has happened to our country? And the answer is the totalitarian left writes for our newspapers, speaks for certain of our cable channels, hosts certain of our networks, runs our Hollywood studios, runs our colleges and universities, and teaches our kids. Other than that, everything's fine. Meanwhile, they turn their rhetorical, political guns on us. You know, what do we have? 5, 10, 15% of the culture? It's apparently too much. Fox needs to go. Conservative talk radio needs to go. We need to root out anything close to a conservative or a centrist professor. Students better keep their mouth shut unless they step in line with the left-wing agenda. In Hollywood, only one kind of film is acceptable, and that is left-wing films that attack our, attack our country. 
Certain races do matter, certain races don't matter, and the country's to be looked at in a racial view, not as a colorblind society anymore. Even though we celebrate Martin Luther King's birthday, we don't really mean it. And so forth. Let's take some calls. Martha, Manassas, Virginia, the great WMAL. How are you, Martha? I'm great, Mark. How are you? Very well, thank you. Enjoying your show this evening. Thank um, you. Listen, I, real quick, I just want to call and thank you for Unfreedom of the Press. My daughter is a sophomore journalism major, and today was able to use what she learned from your book to answer back to her liberal journalism professor who holds the New York Times up as the gold standard. And this is the second time that she's been able to take him to task in class, um, and specifically today was in regards to how um, you, apparently you wrote about how there were many New York Times reporters who went on to work for the Obama administration and did not disclose Correct. that they were in the application process, yet they continued as, as reporters. And she basically she quoted your book. She 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 texted me today and said, you know, I I, I was able to give names and dates and specifics. And she said the professor was just kind of stunned into silence. But she said that he he was actually said, you know, I'm I'm actually really impressed that you that you were able to provide this information. And um, maybe I should sign a book and send it to the professor and then charge the university. Just kidding. (laughs) Well, listen, uh, Mr. Producer, Mr. Kolskerner, let's get the uh, the student, the young student's name. Let's get their address, and I think they des- at least deserve a signed copy of Unfreedom of the Press. Thank you so much, Martha. And give my best to your daughter. Okay, she's gutsy and she's smart. Thank That's obvious. You. All right, don't hang up, please. My man Moses, North Bergen County, New Jersey, the great WABC. Moses, how are you, sir? Doing fantastic, Mark. How are you doing, my friend? Very well, thank you. All right, so Mark, there's a couple of things that just keep really bothering me, especially like, you know, the last couple of months after this election. It's just how Republicans for decades, ever since the targeting of Miguel Estrada, going even back then, how they just continue to let the Democrats just attack their institution and attack their franchise and do nothing about it. This is why Trump got elected. And I believe that what needs to happen, if we take back the House and Senate, the Republicans, it's not about fighting back. This is chess. They need to respond in kind and make the counter moves exactly the way the moves are made upon them. There needs to be ethics and rules committee. So which which Republican leader in the Senate today do you see doing that or capable of it? I don't see any. In the current leadership of the Republican Party, see, these guys will fight to the death to control their position within the Republican Party. They will not fight to oppose the hard left in the Democrat Party. But they will fight to the death to hold on to what they have, which is why they opposed Reagan early on and the Tea Party early on and Trump early on and so forth and so on. Yep, that's unfortunately where we are. That's why the Republican leaders that we elect are the ones that are going to have to have this fight or not push the ones that are in power right now. Did you use the word fight, Moses? That's right. I'm not apologizing. That that, that word has been removed. We're not allowed to use that word anymore. (laughs) Well, you know what? This is what I believe, Mark. Tell me what you think. If we get back in power, 
There needs to be ethics and rules committee hearings in public against Adam Schiff for colluding with that whistleblower. Republicans don't do it. I can't think of a single time when they have. They don't do it. They want to put all this stuff behind them. And then they want to move on to, you know, uh, what does the Chamber of Commerce want to do? When the Chamber of Commerce is now under new leadership turned against uh, the American worker, conservatives, and the Republican Party. It's thrown in with the, uh, with the left. All right, Moses, thank you for your call, my friend. It certainly has. The big problem. Now, I hope I pronounced this right. I hope, Mr. Kohlsgrenner, you got this right. Celestine in Ellabel, Georgia. Did I get that right? Yes, sir, you did. Thank, Thank you. you. Yes, ma'am. Listen, I, um, I just was appointed as the chairwoman of the Georgia Republican Assembly. Um, wow. We were trying to get, um, yes, so um, I have a lot of work to do, so I hit the ground running. Yeah. Um, you know the situation here in Georgia. Mm-hmm. And so, but I wanted to thank you for all that you're doing night after night in educating people about the importance of the Constitution, what it stands for, and how important it is for every single person to get it, mm-hmm. especially the danger that we're in right now with these folks that have been elected to office. Well, let me just so- say this. Uh, you sound like a, a, a fighter. May I use the word? I think I will. Uh, you sound like you're incredibly intelligent. And uh, I think the Georgia Republican Assembly is lucky to have you. And I want to wish you all the luck in the world because you got more rhinos in statewide office than uh, than the rhinos exist in the American zoo system. You are absolutely correct. But you know what? With people like you... And other people that tune into your show, I think that people are waking up, and I think that we're going to have a change in this country, especially in the Republican Party. Because you cannot continue to dress that pig up, put it on different clothes, and put lipstick on it, and tell mm-hmm. folks that you've made a change. When obviously it's the same doggone pig. Amen. And people are tired of it. Mm-hmm. I know I am. Well, you're terrific. And I appreciate it. And good luck to you, okay? Call us now and then and report back on any progress or who's blocking your progress. All right, take care of yourself. Well, just so you know, that should give you hope. There are people out there who are fighters. Yes, we'll use the word. Fighters for liberty. And they don't give up. And the reason you don't give up is where are you going to go? You got children? You've got grandchildren? Your ancestors settled this country too. You've invested in this country of a home. You have a community. Why should you be chased off? I'm not talking about moving to different parts of the country. I mean chased off. Why shouldn't you be able to stand and fight for your rights? We cannot be cowed. I mean, look, look, at, the, uh, look at the arrows being shot at me. Why do you think that's happening? Why do you think they're shooting at me? For several reasons. They want to take me out. They want to come between me and my business partners, and they will pay a price for that if they do uh, legally. They want to create a caricature of me. They don't listen to this program. They're projecting on top of me like they do on so many conservatives in and out of public office. 
So that's what they're doing in the media. That's what they do at the New York Times and the Washington Post. That's why they hire these people. That's why they're of one mindset, groupthink. That's their goal. They're Alinskyites, basically, personalize and attack. And I'm going to fight back. And I'm not going to be pushed around by these bullies. We're on the side of righteousness. We are not radicals. We are not right-wing as the fools at the Washington Post, right? We're conservatives. We're constitutionalists. How can that be right-wing? Right-wing radio. This is their mindset. This is who these people are. They have no interest in knowing who you are. They have no interest in reporting the truth about what I do here. None. Not one of them has read a single one of my books. And yet they claim to know it's in between my ears. That's who they are. Frauds. I'll be right back. Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Trevor, Jacksonville, North Carolina, the great WW, excuse me, the great WEEB, that's WEEB, go. Good evening, Mark, how are you? Okay, thank you, Trevor. Uh, so real quick, two words that are kind of popping up over the last few months that are really, should not be open to interpretation. That is the Constitution, because every president, every elected Senate-confirmed, court-affirmed, even the United States military takes an oath to support and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And right now, it seems like we have a lot of more domestic enemies than foreign enemies. Number two, the word fight. It should be used in terms of using it with the pen, writing letters, going out and voting, talk, writing your congressman, writing your, your senators, writing whoever. Fight with the power of the pen. Well, I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I think it's going to now take more. It's going to take uh, really smart, strategic endeavors. For instance, the power of the pen to write your congressman, but it's the state legislatures where the election action is to get our election system back, and we control a fairly good number of them. And the Republicans in these state legislatures, not all of them, but too many of them aren't standing up and they aren't fighting. So I would say the power of the pen, depending on who you write, but even more than that, in these races for state house and state senate, maybe more conservatives need to get involved in primary challenges. 
maybe more conservatives need to get involved and organize groups uh, to also uh, inform the electorate. In other words, to me, it's not enough now to say, let's write. To me, you got to figure out in your own local community and your own state what it is that needs to be done to get our liberty back. But I appreciate your ideas, and I thank you for your call. Who's next, Mr. Producer? The great WTAQ. Isn't that where what's-his-name is the quarterback, Mr. Producer? Uh, Busy signing environmental letters now that his girlfriend or fiancé from Hollywood is a leftist. John, uh, I would ask you, are you concerned about Mr. Rogers? Uh, First, uh, thanks a lot for taking my call. And I appreciate everything you do for this country. Um, And, um, yeah, I'm a season ticket holder um, to Lambeau Field, to the Green Bay Packers. And my parents were ticket holders since the stadium was built. And um, it's just uh, it's kind of uh, really disappointing when somebody's making tens of millions of dollars and can, uh, you know, fly all over the country and just such disregard for just blue collar workers like myself and, you know, pipe, pipe fitters. And I mean, that's that a blue collar that town. That's the whole point that everybody knows. Green Bay is the blue collar town. There's many, but you understand. And this guy now, you're right. What about the pipe fitters? What about the oil workers? What about the truck drivers? What about all these blue collar jobs? Apparently he doesn't give a damn. No, I, it doesn't appear to be that way. He doesn't it doesn't seem to care at all, you know. And we're the ones paying his wage. And uh, well, I'll be honest with you, Mark. I have not. I'm a season ticket holder, like I had said. My nephew and I took over my parents' tickets. I have not gone to a game in Lambeau in three years, mm-hmm. just because of what you could see this coming, and you could see the attitude of the players and the coach himself too. Um, and I probably never will go again. And the only reason why we still have the tickets, I'm, I, they're still in my mother's name, but uh, I pay for them is because my mother's uh, getting up there in age and it would just crush her because mm-hmm. we grew up just everything evolved around the Packers on Sundays. And I, for me to tell her yeah, that. And, I didn't and you know what? Let me tell you something. And you sound like a really good guy. Here we have all these millionaires, whether they're in sports or Hollywood, or even in politics who get involved in these issues that have a real-world effect on people like you, people who are trying to make ends meet. I don't know how the Democrat Party and the left get away of pretending that they represent the little guy when you know damn well they're the ones that represent the big guy. But I want to thank you very, very much for your call. Aaron Rodgers goes the way of uh, Mark Cuban. All these guys are a bunch of schmucks. May I say so? I think I will. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. Ladies and gentlemen, I will see you right here tomorrow. I ain't going anywhere. God bless you. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.